0: Hello, and welcome to the Hunting Science Podcast, where we talk about the science of hunting. I'm your host, Mark Lindberg. Our goal for this podcast is to educate listeners about the how and why things work the way they do in hunting in the outdoor world. Welcome to a new episode of the Hunting Science Podcast. This is um, new and Uh, another dimension too, because we're going to provide both the audio and video recording of this podcast through our website. So uh, this is a Zoom conference that we're having today with Todd Brinkman and Eduardo Wooner, doctors Todd Brinkman and Eduardo Wooner, both at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. I'll let them introduce themselves in detail here in a moment, but I've asked them to join me today to talk about um, a question that I think is of interest to many people and it's the question is pretty simple. It seems like, but you'll see, we're going to get into some, um, detailed, complicated, I guess, discussions of this. And the question is why we hunt. Um, and it'd be interesting to know why you do. So if at the end of this, you want to provide us some feedback, that would be great. Some comments about that. But, um, Todd comes from this, a bit of a, um, How do I characterize this, Todd? A quantitative uh, standpoint, has thought about the numbers behind why we hunt. Um, And he'll talk about some of those statistics today, trends and hunter numbers. And Eduardo comes to us, comes to this a little more from the philosophy standpoint because he's a professor of philosophy. And I, I know my reaction, Eduardo, nothing against you, but my reaction initially was, really? Yeah, that's exactly. you. I don't know. It's a little over a year ago now. It's like we're going to talk to a philosopher. No, you're
1: not alone, and I—that's I, I, why I think we should, uh, you know, at some point say something about that because it's—it's it's the elephant in the room, you know. Okay. Like why? Why on earth do we need to talk philosophy about this?
0: <laughs> well, I'll let uh, you t- handle that in your introduction. Yeah. But, yeah, um, yeah. I'm here to tell you, hunters and listeners in general. He's a cool philosopher. He's a hunting philosopher. <laughs> Thank you. And I've learned a lot from him, so I think you'll enjoy his insights because it's um, for me at least in our conversations about this, you've put words to thoughts that I can never put words to, and I maybe that's the goal of philosophy in general. But um, that it's helped me sort of um, characterize. The reasons I hunt and this background image I'll talk about maybe later because it, it is it characterizes why I hunt in a picture um but Eduardo I think will help us put that into words so with that as a bit of background Todd why don't you give us a little bit of your um your resume and I asked um people that I'm talking to to talk about both their hunting resume and their science resume because we're talking about both of those topics so if you
2: would sure All right. Hey, everybody. Um, Mark, thanks for having me today. Uh, Let's start with the hunting resume. Um, As long as I can think back, uh, my fondest memories, of course, are related to hunting. I grew up in western South Dakota, hunting with my father, my older brother, um, since uh, I could keep up with them, which is probably seven years old, uh, nine maybe. It was something that we did every year, no question. Became part of our identity and it is today still. Uh, I had the privilege to move up here to Alaska just under 20 years ago, um, after I learned that uh, somebody would pay me to uh, study things like hunting, which was really nice. And uh, since I've been up here, um, I've probably spent most of my time studying large mammals. Um, but I've taken a, a kind of unique perspective to that. And I focus a lot on what's referred to as the human dimensions of wildlife management. So I, I think a lot about uh, how, how people affect wildlife and how wildlife affect people, people's attitudes um, towards wildlife, their behaviors, their um, behaviors. One thing I like to tell a lot of folks is when we think about all of our wildlife problems in the world, if we think really, really carefully about them, most of them are are human problems related to wildlife rather than the natural wildlife problems. Um, So a lot of my time has been devoted to studying human-wildlife interaction and especially hunting systems because it's such an important aspect of culture and traditions up here. I teach a wildlife management course and then I teach a, a course on the human dimensions.
0: Yeah, I I don't think anybody would agree with or disagree with you. I should say that humans are such an important part of the equation. I just think I uh, commend you in being willing to study us because it's so much easier to study non-human vertebrates. Um, They're not as cantankerous or as um, socially complex, let's put it that way. And uh, so I think you're in a very important area of research that many of us who got into wildlife field didn't want to take on, but I commend you for... I think
2: so, I do think yeah. Well, awesome. you know, I think
0: everybody wants to
2: do something positive, right? Uh, be a force for positive change. And if you think about those contentious issues, they're they're really uncomfortable at times. But the reason they're contentious is because people care about it. And so, if you can make some progress on that, you can you can really. Uh, change things for the better. You can increase the number of positive human wildlife interactions and, and decrease the negative, and that's that's a good day. In the process, you <laughs> you get yourself into uh, situations where nobody's happy with you. But sometimes, if 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 both sides are a little unhappy with you, you as a, as a scientist, you're probably right where you need to be.
0: Yeah, that's probably true. You've taken on some issues already that in, in, early in your career that, um, like I said, are admirable. I was impressed with your handling of the question about uh, cow moose hunts in the Fairbanks area. Uh, not the most controversial issue, but one that was contentious and uh, your studies revealed some patterns that were obvious and uh, I, I that's neat work. So, thanks, oh. John. Eduardo, um, tell us about yourself.
1: Uh, well, it's funny because uh, I mean, Probably everybody can detect a little bit of an accent, just a tiny, tiny little bit. A little bit. Uh, I, I, I'm not from here. I'm, uh, I was born in Argentina and I was born, uh, I mean, in, in, a, in a sense, in a very kind of personal sense, and it's a coalition uh, of any uh, kind of reinforcement to be a hunter or to, to be, you know, I grew up during the dictatorship so people could not have guns. Uh, my family were nobody was a hunter into wilderness or anything, but I grew up like a little mutant. You know, I I, I just couldn't, could not think about anything else. And as soon as I could, I just, uh, you know, went out uh, whatever I could and hunted with whatever you could, at, you know, when you're 12, 13, 14 with another crazy friend and uh, making slingshots and and... <laughs> Of bows and anyway so so it's funny because you know as we will discuss later there's an angle or I mean many of us and it is an important angle there's a tradition to hunting I was never exposed to that and yet I think I'm a fanatic in a sense so there's there's more and you know we'll, we'll talk about later but like Todd and like you I've I've, I've been hunting forever and and that I chose my original career as a biologist because it was the closest thing to hunting I could find, you know, like uh, run run behind animals. I was into animal behavior. And uh, eventually, you know, after my my master's in, in behavioral uh, biology, I got in, I went to the dark side, you know, I, and I I got more and more interested in, in the, the theory part. In uh, trying to understand why creatures are the way they are, you know? like not only what is it that they do, but why is it that they do what they do? What is it that they have horns or antlers and stuff like that? And in a very kind of uh, subversive way, and and that's something that that's the the kind of the elephant in the room, you know? Because usually philosophy, we think about. Uh, I mean, our education fails us, you know, we never learn what the hell philosophy is. And, and we have the problem that when you think philosophy in terms of the word we use, we really mean hot air. Uh, I don't know if uh, you're going to beat me on this one, but it, we think bullshit, you know, it, it's just whatever, it's navel gazing, it's just thinking about unimportant stuff, and this is very new, you know, like relatively speaking, philosophy in the past, there was no distinction between science and philosophy. It was just the same thing because the thing that people called the philosophy part of doing science was to, you know, the kind of of work you do before going to the field, before asking the questions, because, you know, we have tons of baggage in our head. cultural, evolutionary, the way we conceive stuff uh, really interferes when you need to go out there with an open mind and study the, the, the world as it really is. So the philosophy part was that kind of work, the work you did with just really trying to figure out what kind of baggage were you kind of smuggling into the actual questions that you were going to do in the field. And then the part in the field, suddenly, instead of being called natural philosophy, got the name science. And, and so we have this, this uh, unreal distinction between philosophy and science, when in fact, it's just two, two angles, two necessary angles of the same process, which is like figuring out what the world is like. You know, and and uh, So anyway, I went into philosophy of, of biology because I was studying the, the kind of questions that were dealing kind of with the plumbing of, of the more experimental questions and, and that shaped the experimental questions. So I, I studied evolutionary biology, evolutionary science, and then just because of the trade, I'm, I'm in a philosophy department now. I teach a lot of just plain philosophy uh, classes but I also teach, you know, evolution classes, and we did some uh, adaptive management classes where I met Todd a long time ago, um, and uh, yeah. So I hunt because I hunt, uh, and I've done it forever. But now I think about it also in the sense of, you know, that mix between uh, uh, why we do things in general and and. Uh, then kind of once we understand that, do the kind of the, the legs on the ground kind of work that Todd is doing.
0: I've never heard that described that way. The, the, the similarity similarities, the parallels, the integration of science and philosophy. That's, that's mm-hmm. really interesting. Along that way in that description, you, um, you use the word baggage and bias came to yeah. mind and I thought, um, I was thinking about whether we should reveal why we hunt before or maybe at the end of this. And I'm thinking more, maybe we should just quickly tell folks in a nutshell why we hunt just so they know for what's gonna follow the bias, the baggage we have. And uh, and as I mentioned before we got on the podcast here, this photo in the background, I'll start is, characterizes many reasons, the reason the, why I hunt, and this is my son with his first caribou at the age of eleven, and um, his older sister uh, preceded him in terms of being successful in a hunt at ten, actually. And but it it these were life changing moments for me in terms of the reasons I've hunted. From growing up in Pennsylvania, focused on shooting the biggest white tail I could, and after you shoot it, taking it to the butcher shop, and uh, never thinking about how to process an animal to to present day and in the joy of bringing my kids into uh, hunting but also taking great pride in being able to get our own food caribou by far our favorite game meat and taking great pride also in, in butchering the animal and processing it and preparing it and um, it's um. I remember when I moved back from Alaska after living here for six years in the 1990s, I moved away for five, went back to the lower 48. And, and this is too much of a generalization, but the reasons that most Alaskans hunt, I think, are different than most of the reasons many people in the lower 48 hunt. And there's not as much of a connection, I don't think, to your food and to the land for that matter. You don't get... Just don't have the same opportunities in both places, and uh, I remember moving back to Alaska and and thinking to myself, um, "Wow, my reasons why I hunt have just got more complicated again." It was a lot simpler when I wasn't thinking about putting food on the table, and and I don't need that now in Alaska to live. I could go to the grocery store and and survive, but um, Alaska just adds a dimension of of trying to be. Um, part of the system and uh, and contribute your food that way. It, my kids are going to be some of the few, small percentage of people, I would say, that know where their food comes from, um, most of it. And I think that's pretty neat. So, sorry, that maybe it's a little longer-winded than you know, I need to. But, Todd, what's your bias? What's your... What's <laughs> my baggage? Why, yeah. I, why <laughs> I
2: think I had...
0: Um, Well, you got the
2: the categories you can put it into, but I mean, what I often tell folks is, is I'm definitely a meat hunter. I uh, I seldom go out there and and try to find the largest, maturest, most majestic animal. If I uh, I'm just as pleased with a with a younger animal in really good condition and uh, with a clean kill, where I don't destroy an ounce of millet, meat um but it's more than that of course because we can go to the store and we can meet our protein needs in other ways pretty darn easy um there's something about taking it home processing yourself feeding your kids and the self-sufficiency is kind of cool um oftentimes economically even in alaska it doesn't pencil out economically always we could go get some junk burger at the store and that would be cheaper um when i'm out there hunting I, I can't say that I do it just because it's fun because there's so much of hunting that is not fun, <laughs> uh, like type two fun. is like during the process, you might be cold and wet and miserable and um, pushing your face through an alder thicket, getting beat up and traveling across terrain. You would never ever travel across for a hike. You would never pick that pathway, but ho- hunting forces you to pick these pathways that you would never do it And in the process of of picking that path, because with the purpose of being able to harvest that animal, you're seeing things and experience things in nature that you would never otherwise do because of what you're willing to put yourself through um, to attain your goal, which might be to harvest an animal and bring home meat. So I, I can just think of so many memorable, unique experiences that I would not have ever have had if I was not a hunter. And then the other reason, of course, is family and tradition. There's nothing more than hunting with you, get a hunt with your kids. Mine aren't quite old enough to keep up yet, but they're knocking on the door. But spending time with my brother, my wife, whatever it is, uh, it doesn't get much better than that. And then we are all getting older. I'm not nearly as old as you two. Right? <laughs> Thank you, Tom. Oh, My goodness. Thank you. Thank you. That was. But, uh... <laughs> you know, sometimes um, it's with how busy I am in life it's my opportunity to get out into fresh air and, and, and really um, push myself physically. And to be able to do that, even before the hunt, it's a motivation to maybe keep myself a little bit physically healthier. And then there's all these sort of things that no one's going to be able to describe very well, but how grounded you feel when you're out there uh, maybe around the campfire and able to let go of um, everything in life that you think is super important. But once you get out there after a week in the field, you're like, I don't know why I was fussing over these sorts of things. So just the the mental health component of that, which I don't understand, but I know it's there. There's, there's a yep. lot going on there, Mark. I, yeah, I, I'll classify it more neatly for you when we talk about the science.
0: But no, well. this is good. No, this is all good. I was, I was looking for an image while you were talking a reminder. I was doing uh we were doing some preps for uh, a sheep hunt that I took my son on this year. And you were talking about not being fun and we got caught in the snow small and I can't find the photo quickly here, but he's hunkered down behind minimal cover and in something like 30 or 40 mile an hour winds and at high elevation, you know, not a tree in sight. And, uh, I was thinking to myself, "This is fun, though." (laughs) But he didn't think so. Ed Warner, your background is really, um, well, a bit unusual, probably for most audience. So, um, yeah. But I think you know, in in a sense, it's
1: kind of a good segue because, as as uh, and I I guess I mean I'm gonna kind of insert uh a little bit of my ideas as I explain, try to explain why I hunt. Uh, and, and as Todd was saying, it, it is really big in a sense. It's, it's something that when we try to put this into words, we all have the same problem. Because you know, I, I always remember this friend of mine that uh, for those of you that are not in Alaska, we have a, 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 a salmon run on a place called Chitna, and you basically have to perch, perch yourself uh, very precariously on a rock and have a, a humongous net that you put inside. And then you get sometimes two salmon in and people die doing this. And, and this friend of mine, and you have to drive like seven hours from Fairbanks. So as Todd was saying, uh, this friend of mine naturally asked me like, wouldn't it be cheaper to buy uh the salmon that you get, and I said, "Of course, but that's not why I do it. I I don't go fishing. It's it's definitely not fun. And I think that's where kind of philosophy starts, kind of showing that it's needed. You know, because as soon as we start thinking about these things, there's there's all these accessible we can call it reasons. You know, like when when you start thinking, well, you know, I started doing it with my parents or. It puts meat on the table. Uh, but then there are all these kind of, and when I talk about baggage, I was also meaning this other kind of really inaccessible reasons of why we do stuff. And I think that when we ask, you know, why we hunt, we, we should think that this difficulty that we're finding is not unique to hunting. Like imagine if you, if you ask like, a, I mean, if you ask a woman, why do they give birth? You know, I'm, of course, I'm not a woman, but I always think I'm thankful to the universe that I'm not one because I cannot imagine putting a kid out of a hole in my body. It just sounds like torture. It sounds like something that if it ever happens to me once, I don't want to do it again. Why would anybody go through that? if you can like be cut open or, or but it's true, you know, if, if you've experienced or if you talk to, to women about this, it's an amazing experience and it's, they suffer like torture for some sometimes quite a long time, but then they do it over and over again. So why do we have kids? It's a similar kind of, uh, of, of problematic question uh, and I think that then we have to start thinking that we are, uh, we have baggage that is not only traditional of our upbringing, but we have baggage as a creature. You know? And so imagine if you would ask a Chesapeake retriever, why do you retrieve? Or try to ask my dog, why does she spend hours looking at a squirrel and hoping you know, she could get it? they would have the same trouble, even if you give them you know, the capacity to talk and speak. And I think that in that sense, we hunt because that is the hallmark. That's what made us human. You know what, uh, we, Two million years ago, there the, was the big, the big split between... Uh, those that are not our ancestors, they're called a- Australopithecines, you know, but they were like more like uh, Lucy, if everybody's seen pictures of, of that famous fossil, more more uh, monkey-like uh, stock. And us, they went into gathering, we went into hunting and that completely changed the kind of creature we were. Uh, we, 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 uh, we're able to, to have a certain uh, uh, simultaneous number of kids that other primates couldn't do. That changed our social structure. Uh, it changed our physiology. You know, in a sense, imagine you ask another similar question. Why we run? Why people spend billions of dollars on getting the right shoe and they run, you know, for marathons and stuff like that? When you look at our history, we run because we hunted. That's the way we hunted before bows and arrows and, and rifles or whatever. We just run creatures down. And so if you ask a runner, why do they run? It's because they enjoy it. this part of life and they enjoy it because of the kind of creature we are. So long, <laughs> uh, Mark, I'm sorry, because that's that's longer than any of the other answers, but. But I think that it is such an important angle when we ask this question because then, of course, it doesn't settle the answer. Uh, you know, we, we could do many things just because of the kind of creature we are, and they're still not right. Uh, but, but it gives us an idea of, uh, you know, the same way uh, a runner does not need to run. Uh, Life without running for a runner would be kind of weird, and I think even though we don't need to hunt, as Todd was saying, as you were saying, we don't need to go after the meat, but we enjoy doing it. It's part of of for us, for these kind of creatures, what well being is all about is doing, in a sense, what you are designed to do, and that gives us pleasure because that's the way, you know, Mother Nature ensures that we keep doing it, you know, our ancestors hunted because they liked it. Uh, and that kind of liking remains because they were successful in leaving their descendants. That's us, you know, so it's tradition, long, long view, you know, tradition so, that goes 2 million years. Yeah, So
0: it seems to me and, and pardon my terminology which might not be accurate, um, but you're blending sort of this, utilitarian view and this more, I don't know, metaphysical view, right? <laughs> I, yeah. I can't imagine that, you know, ancestral hunters back long ago ever paused for a moment and said, why am I doing this, right? Yeah, because, of course. you know, if I didn't, I was gonna die. You know, there was a time where that was true for some of our ancestors. And as we said, none of us would die now if we quit hunting, at least physically. Um, I don't know, so, you
1: know, like, if we think about it, like, the, the key here is when, when we were talking before about reasons that are accessible and reasons that are not, uh, you know, and, and again, I, I like to use the example of, of the dogs, we have bred to do different things, uh, you know, anybody had the unfortunate uh, circumstance of being exposed to a, a, a retriever dog they will not let you be, they, they bring the ball. If you take the ball away, they bring a stick. They want you to throw the damn thing so they can go fetch it. You know, you know what I mean? Like they cannot stop, they're pissed. And if, if we would ask, <laughs> of course we can, not they just can help it. They love it, they love retrieving. And so I think it's kind of in a, in a different way, the reasons why we started doing it, were not accessible. It's just that those that happen to like hunting were more successful and, at being our ancestors. Those okay. that did not. So, so you see what I mean with accessibility versus uh, like the, the most fundamental reason of why we do some stuff. Then we can oh. ask the question of why we like it. Why we like not that instead of you know, looking for spuds, you know, like, like potato. Or, I mean, imagining kind of like a future of a gatherer, like imagine our other uh, cousins, the Australopithecines, they were into gathering more than anything. So if they would be alive today, maybe they would have a big industry that revolves around, you know, finding potato like things under the ground. And They would have all this different gear for it. And if you ask them why, they'd be exactly at the same bad place as we are. You know, when we try
0: to say why we do it. So why even ask why then? I mean, do we need to ask that? And um, just a little bit of qualifier. I mean, I I characterize this podcast as being a little bit unique in that it has science in it. And scientists always ask why questions. And I think that's important to do in general rather than just how. How do I kill an exactly, well, exactly. excellent. Yeah. Why Why ask the why question? Maybe we'll give Todd a chance at work.
2: Well, I guess, though, the why question to me is even <clears throat> we're always seeking uh, to better understand causality, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, get any three-year-old. Have a conversation with a three-year-old, and you may explain something. Then the next question you'll follow with is why. <laughs> And why, why, and eventually it's really good exercise to force you to get down to the, the basics of, of, of really why we do it. Um, I like what our Eduardo's saying though. I mean, maybe we can't help it because of evolutionary reasons. Um, but, so the act of just harvesting a wild animal, bringing it home and eating it, um, maybe that's what you feel you get enjoyment out of But But the process of doing it maybe might answer the why question better. It probably stirs something in you um, I'm not talking like being an adrenaline junkie because I very seldom feel like adrenaline. I mean, some people get buck fever right right before they're going to pull um, the trigger. I really don't do that. I I feel just too calculated <laughs> at that moment. So it's not about it's not about the adrenaline or anything like that. But there's a sense of an adventure and it stirs something inside of you. Or when you're on this edge of this cliff, and you're like, man, what am I doing up here? This isn't safe. But at the same time, you're, you're thinking, wow, this, this feels good. I'm, I'm alive. So I don't know. It, it alerts the senses that we've always had. And, and I think in today's society, we, we find areas of comfort that doesn't um, elicit or ignite some of those senses that we, that we need that, that reminds us that we're mm-hmm. human. And I, I I don't know, maybe now because we got
0: a philosopher here, I'm just heading that direction. <laughs> <laughs> I think in your notes, Eduardo, I saw that we asked why to justify things, but... Yeah, and, and that's
1: why I thought it was such a good question. Uh, because, and especially in this circumstance, when I'm I'm trying to defend the point that philosophy is not just navel-gazing, and you could say, well, why ask why? Just, you know, forget about it. But the point here is that we're trying to figure figure out we should be doing it, you know, Mm. like why have kids? And you can say, well, we have kids because, you know, those ancestors that were not into kids never left any descendants. We're the descendants of those that thought that having kids was an excellent idea. Um, And if you think about it, just like with hunting, maybe it's not the smartest thing to do. If you are trying to minimize uh, you know, the, the, the impact or make the planet a little bit more livable, probably the smartest thing is not to go hunting. Um, but also the smartest thing is not to run uh, and, you know, create more plastic shoes or, or you know, that industry is probably not also the smartest idea. Uh, so what I'm saying is that, you know, if you ask uh, why we like certain foods, for instance, and then if you figure out that, well, we like, we're really, really attracted to those foods that are really kind of like the cliff bars of, of, uh, of, of the world, you know, like packages of, of energy, energy packets that, that are accessible, a uh, lot of a punch for, for a little package. And, and that is, if you translate it to modern terms, that's junk food. Junk food is salt, sugar, and fat. And we cannot get enough of it. Why? Ancestrally, they were rare. Uh, And so now we like, why do we like it? Just because of its rarity. But then, fine, that's an answer to the question, why? But now we can, now that we understand that, we can start thinking about whether or not it's justifiable. We cannot avoid liking it. Because that's part of what we are. So make, saying that that is not justifiable requires a different creature. You know, we kind of have to bite the bullet. We are what we are. And now what we have to try to do using science, try to figure out how to do it in a way that is sustainable, that it kind of can, can kind of articulate with all the other likes that we accidentally happen to have so so the, the the asking the question "Why?" will allow us to keep doing what we are made
2: to like to do in this the smart way but't yeah i got, I gotta just push back a little bit because um, not everybody would like hunting and and it's clear that a lot of people don't like hunting and they're repulsed by um, the, the what hunting requires, like killing an animal and, and uh, being in wild places where they have little control over, over their surroundings. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, because we don't all like it.
1: Yeah. And that's a, that's a good point. And, and again, you know, we ask science, how come that a lot of people like them? And, And, you know, when, when we study how things kind of get to be the way they are, how species get to be the way they are, There's always a distribution, you know, Mm -hmm. you get the nuts on at both ends and then you get the average of people that, you know, are most of the time liking it. And and so I think it's an interesting kind of like back of the envelope idea. It's like when you look at the kind of uh, appeal as an industry, something has, you know, like what I was saying, running. I'm not into running. I never get that that flow of dopamine, you know, that they, they say that runners get into the, the that kind of state of, of bliss. I never got that. Uh, but obviously quite a few people of our same species like it. And I understand why. I'm on the kind of the, the weirdo that never got that like. Uh, but most people kind of like get to it or are close to it. Uh, so it's a distribution like with most things we're not like completely identical clones we we vary but then we can understand why a lot if not most are into it or can see it and as you said it it starts conflicting with other things we don't like to harm things you know I particularly feel like a a little bit of a schizophrenic every time I go hunting because I cannot describe the appeal of going after the moose. This is why I love moose hunting. And, and every time I, I end the, this process, an animal is dead. And that part really bumps me out and I, I really get sad when when i just get to the animal and i i feel like you know i feel like a a kid that goes into a a, an exhibition of the third ding uh, ming dynasty and and you go running because you want to run and you break everything you know and then you go like shoot i i i broke stuff you know because i was so into it so understanding that i like it because of my complexion Uh, allows me to try to articulate on how can I do that without interfering with other likes that I have. Like, I don't like killing. I don't like hurting an animal. So what would be the most, uh, I mean, the best way of doing it without exterminating the moose population, without making it suffer as little as possible? And,
2: And so... But, all but that, at the same uh, time, you never want to go out, Eduardo, and invest all that time and that energy and that adventure and come home empty-handed either. Exactly. Be- because it's
1: part of the thing. And I don't know if your experience, too, when your significant other uh, says, what, you didn't hunt anything? I, I feel like a little ancestral pang of pain there, you know? Oh, my <laughs> God. you know, I fail at the most <laughs> profound possible way. Um,
0: uh. you're- your comparison to running is interesting because I, I was way into running, I'm not as much as before. And, and when you bring that up, I think of the book Born to Run. And it's a book that makes a fairly compelling argument that we are evolved to run. And yes. it's a natural activity that we participate in. But going back to Todd's comment, now I'm trying to reconcile that, his comment that um, not everyone likes hunting right? Mm-hmm. So could you, could you characterize like running, born to run, even though not everyone runs, they could if they want to. Todd, would you predict that, could you write a book called Born to Hunt? I mean, is, <laughs> are we, is there a genetic or a part of us that given the chance all of us would hunt? Um, I mean, I would say people don't like hunting now because their views have been shaped by Society in a way that it seems so foreign, but if they had grown up in a different atmosphere, would they be expressing that gene? I I I don't know. I don't mm.
2: know because you see a lot of people that grew up hunting. Of course, if you're exposed to it early on, you're more likely to do it now than somebody that wasn't. So mm-hmm. if if you didn't grow up in a family that hunted. Um, the likelihood of you becoming a hunter, the probability is so much lower than someone that was exposed to it in certain areas. And just based on demographics alone, I mean, they're really good predictors of whether or not a person will hunt or even approves of hunt based on sometimes age, gender, whether you live in a rural or an urban area, Um, family traditions, things like that are really good predictors. Um, So I guess where I'm getting at is say that If you tried to wash out all that kind of stuff and put everyone on the same playing field, would everybody choose the same path? And uh, I don't know, would everybody be hunters if they all had equal access to it? And everybody's societal norms or the group they hung out with were like, oh yeah, hunting school, you should do it. Would they do it? I don't know. Yeah, and that's what
1: I was trying to capture too with the idea that there are many things we are designed in a sense to do and they conflict and they become a cultural uh, as we grow up in different places. So the prediction actually that we would be looking for is, could a lot of this kind of creature get into it, if given the opportunity to. And so that would be the more kind of tame prediction once you understand what the process is like. Uh, uh, And, you know, again, I don't eat junk food, but I can. Get, I get it, you know, and I get it why it sells so well and why it's still around, even though we know it kills you. Uh, so again, what we're talking about, we're concentrating on one angle of our complexion as a creature, but there are many. And since we were designed by a mindless process, they're contradictory. Yeah. And, and their interplay goes to weird places depending on, the culture you were born in, the kind of family you were born in, born in and, and
2: etc, so I would say that everybody has like everybody has probably the physical capacity to run, or at least most people do. <clears throat> I think everybody has the the physical and the mental characteristics to to hunt if they wanted to, and they 're given the opportunity i mean we're, we're design we got canines and we got legs, and we can move through mm-hmm. different environments really well, and we 're super adaptable as far as species go
0: um mm-hmm. it's interesting that you've kind of um it, it, in some some thoughts about why we've equated hunting with killing and I, just for the record for me my dad said to me long ago i started tagging along with him when i was 10 he said mark once you once you keep killing the animal the hunt's over and it, it truly the hunt itself is for me the most uh, motivating why part for me to kill if I had my perfect scenario, I would shoot my moose on the last day of the season, one minute before it closed, because then i get to go yeah. as many times as possible when I hunt with friends in North okay. Dakota, they give me a hard time because I don't want to shoot my limited pheasants in an hour i want to i want to get i want yeah. to walk all day and get one at the end. I want to hunt um so I don't equate the kill with the why for me um, well i don't I don't think the kill's the
2: end point either. I mean, maybe in some places where you can get your pickup up to the animal and throw it in the truck and then you take it to the butcher and that's the last you see of it. But in Alaska, we just, most folks, it's not like that. After you uh, kill the animal, I mean, you got a lot of hunt left. If you have to pull that animal out five miles, get it home, butcher it yourself, process it based on your taste, whether it be burger, steaks, jerky, sausage, whatever else. But some people could easily argue the hunt ends not even after it's consumed but maybe after the benefits of that hunt finally expire so you okay. feel less physically fit in the middle of the winter after yeah. all the exercise wears off or something so, like
0: that so what's what's the bins of why people hunt, and what's the categories thought i think you have this yeah, it's, and that's um, what i was
2: going to say is i mean we're talking about why we hunt and um, you know they're, they're they're kind of more romantic ideals but Uh, when we when we survey folks and we ask them what is their motivation of hunting they've Mm -hmm. done tons of these all over the world lots of them in the u.s for decades now and people might hunt for the meat right and that's common the most common answer for alaska residents but you get in other places lower 48 and for the meat is somewhere in the middle of the pack you have other reasons for the sport for the challenge to spend time with family for health reasons to help with management of wildlife maybe you're tired of all the deer hitting your vehicle on the way to work. So you have to reduce the local deer density so your wife doesn't run into a deer or something like that. So you got all these different reasons. And um, I think in a lot of places in the lower 48, as I mentioned, meat is somewhere in the middle, but it's more about tradition or camaraderie. Um, and in some cases it's for the challenge or the sport. Now, I don't know if we want to talk about approval or disapproval of different motivations for hunting or how we've conveniently uh, put them into categories now or later
0: but but uh, no that's fine just along that line though before we move into that please do um is on these surveys are you ever asked because of the kill i'm just looping back to that conversation is there anybody that answers because like,
1: uh, i like killing them. like killing yeah any yeah. does anybody answer that I, kind of
0: thing no i
2: can't remember seeing that as a response option like um like for sadistical reasons i, I well, I, no, maybe it falls under sport and if it's purely for sport i, I, I have the, in my head the other thing is you got you got trophy which is is kind of oftentimes in a mm-hmm. different category than sport okay um, i just so, have in my head a I don't know. No, but I
1: think, Mark, you're hitting an important thing because out there there was a, I mean, actually very recently, uh, several articles coming from psychologists that were really doing pseudoscience. They were not doing science. It was just kind of their gut idea that they were equating hunting exclusively with killing and saying that if you like hunting, you kind of had to be kind of a, have the killer mind frame. And that of course was based in no science at all whatsoever, but in doing you know, the kind of science that is uh, armchair science, that is not science, of course, that is just thinking. So these psychologists were thinking, well, you kill uh, and that's what you want. You want to see the blood, you're gonna see all that stuff. Of course, let me stress, there's no real experimental psychological evidence whatsoever that that is the point. In, at least in our experience we we i don't know anybody that that enjoys the killing part um, but so it's out there that that hunting is all about killing, but I think it's kind of like a a fad that is kind of half cooked uh and does not reflect you know as you were saying nobody in, in the reports at least i, I as we were asking Todd, Todd there's nothing, nothing like that that you can glean from the reports.
2: Well, and the- they, probably, they probably developed these classes through more qualitative efforts. And then we, they figured out how all these different kind of open-ended responses might fit into these categories. And there probably wasn't enough responses, although I bet there was some that said, you know, I like, I like hunting because I like to watch animals die. There, that probably exists. I mean, we know it does. We know there's... Well- there's
0: and a, I, I don't mean this to be judgmental. Them create its own category for it. Yeah, and I don't mean this example to be judgmental. It's not for me, admittedly. But you know, we have people that uh, shoot uh, prairie dogs.
2: That's right. No, yeah.
0: no reason right. other than to shoot prairie dogs, right? So yes. I suppose you could argue that's hunting for the shooting aspect of it. But hmm. I, that's a fine line between I hunt because I like to kill versus I hunt because i like to shoot. Um, because I would say that I would guess that, I, and I don't do that obviously, but I would guess that those people who do that would say, if I didn't kill things, it wouldn't be interesting to me because I could go to the shooting range, right? And That's shoot, a good point. Yeah, the long distance shooting. Um, it's
2: often to, yeah, to see like as a demonstration of your skill, right? To see if you can yeah. hit that distance but you're right if it was just about your skill why would a target not be sufficient and exactly. it clearly isn't so yeah. there's something going on there
0: So, oh, and i wonder I if the image go has back back got uh, uh, to the, the idea of why we do stuff go ahead marco well i just wonder if the image of why we hunt has got changed by what people see on tv um mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. many of the reasons we talk about hunting these backcountry experiences these wilderness experiences these Camaraderie experience—they're not really captured in a TV show. I wonder if that change in the image that's presented to the public has caused us over time to equate hunting with killing. Because I think it was—at least growing up—I don't remember shows that I watch about hunting um, have much emphasis at all on the kill. It was de-emphasized, and now I—I I know there's at least a segment of shows that are kill is the emphasis, and I wonder if that has caused some people who don't hunt likely to say, ah, they're doing that because they're, they like killing things.
1: Yeah, I, I would say that, you know, we're, we're, again, going for the kind of the very primeval-like that involves, I mean, hunting uh, originally required the getting of something you know uh otherwise it was not hunting it was not so the skills became skills because they resulted in getting something so it would be like you know uh what we were saying about running uh that the reasons why we do it now are not really that informative of really why we we're doing it or why it's part of of being human so uh, you know again the thought experiment of asking like a cat why do they keep getting mice even though they're completely stuffed or why my dog gets a squirrel and then spits it and does not eat it Um, when you ask sure the killing is part of it but but the point is that what we do is we want to successfully get something and when we do it just with our guts, just like a dog or a cat, then it, it can result in in situations like that. You know, when you end up uh, just killing prairie dogs or, or 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 wolves or or hogs from helicopters, uh, we're, we're, we get tickled. We we get tickled that ancestral idea of getting something, but in a very kind of silly way, I would say. And that that's where understanding why we do things and understanding the other things we like to do, we can then start asking about, well, what would be the smart or the ethical way of, of fulfilling this need that m- many of us have?
2: Well, you also, yeah, one thing is thinking about the ethics on what's acceptable to a hunter, but also what's acceptable to a non-hunter because what we hunt mm-hmm. is, it is yeah. a public resource so um you know we kind of got to take into account everybody's value systems on our Mm -hmm. behavior when we are when we're when we're going after a resource that does belong to everybody based on at least our legal system yeah
0: so (laughs) um this isn't on our notes of but um and we could cut this out if you don't like it after i ask it but um If it's a public resource, um, as you point out correctly, Todd, um, why can't we hunt on park service land? Because I
2: think, um, I think as an, as a nation, there's, there's been a consensus that some areas should be put aside for other purposes and that might be non-consumptive purposes. So maybe you have those that, um, the way that we feel about hunting they say feel the same way about wildlife photography or wildlife watching or they have these uh, ideas that you know what it they just get a deep satisfaction out of knowing that there's a place left on the planet that that uh humans aren't are going in and pushing pushing wildlife around so i think uh certain lands even though on, on park lands you have you have park and preserve so national park preserve of course you can still hunt in alaska but there are areas that you can't hunt so i think know that's a that's a compromise amongst the different values that we have in our nation.
1: And even I would say for the value of the hunter per se like if you if you really want to keep doing uh, hunting and keep enjoying the tradition then we ask the question and that is answerable via doing science of how can we ensure that we'll be able to keep doing it. So maybe we have to stop hunting in some places in order to keep doing it, or maybe like they do in Sweden, only hunt uh, little moose or or preferably hunt little moose instead of the big ones. There's stuff like that that intuitively is not what you would like to do. But then when you go smart on your ancestral needs, you choose to do these things that are not immediately uh, appealing to you, like you you let go of the junk food for instance, you know, even though you really, really like that sugar, sweet, and
0: salt. Um, so that's a good segue to the sort of last segment we were gonna talk about a little bit and that's sort of trends and future hunting. hunting. But I wanna, before we dive into that, just is that sort of, you want anything else about the more, like I said, metaphysical reasons of why is that, uh, are you pretty happy with what you? Kind of kicked around, no, no, I think we covered it, uh, okay so given these reasons why we hunt and and changing reasons why we hunt, I would say at least they were evolutionary time um you know certainly it had its roots in survival, um but it's evolved now, and people have a whole host of reasons, although meat and food is still listed as number one, there's other reasons. And given concerns, maybe over-exaggerated concerns about reduction in hunter numbers, that I think Todd's going to educate us about a little bit. Do you, do you? What? Well, first off, what are the trends in hunter participation, hunting participation, and and do the reasons we hunt um, are they affecting those trends? Okay.
2: Um, yeah, I, I can talk about the patterns. So, if you go back through like hunting license sales they've been flat for decades so in the united states there's been right around 15 million licensed hunters for decades now 15 um, to one five or five zero todd 15 15, 15, 15 15 and then so the actual number that participates in hunting so there's a lot of people that might get a license maybe they just support the culture or they want to uh, provide revenue to uh, a wildlife agency so they can do research management and education or something, or they just don't have enough time. But so the number of actual people that hunt every year is lower than that. And it's kind of fluctuated around 12 million for 12 to 14 million for several decades. So you hear often in in some of these magazines, I think they're like hunting magazines, they may over-dramatize a little bit this, this steep decline in hunting. Well, it depends how you look at it because the number of actual hunters has been pretty flat, but the population in the u s of course has has been increasing quite rapidly, so the per capita number of hunters is absolutely declining, and you can see it's becoming a sport of of uh, an older uh, more for financially stable demographic as well um, so you're seeing older uh, white males are kind of probably the biggest demographic, but one cool change, especially within the last 10 years and a little bit longer, is you're seeing this nice increase in female hunters. And I think somewhere around 10% of all hunters now are female and that's growing. And the reason that probably the overall number of hunters is not declining more is because um, we have more, more females getting in into the practice. Um, but no, I there's, Per capita, there's a a bit of a decline and maybe that can be worrisome. Um, The number of hunters is about the same though.
1: John, is this in the States or are there any kind of worldwide studies like in Europe, for instance?
2: European Union keeps track of the data a lot like our Fish and Wildlife Service does. They got a, I don't know what department is over there. They, They keep track of hunter numbers by country um, and how those trends are changing with demographics. Um, I don't know worldwide. And then you get into like tropical areas, you're dealing with a, a different hunter then. It's more of a bush meat hunter. And in most places where you have a, a strong legal system with adequate enforcement and a little bit of research behind your, your wildlife hunting regulations, it's really a pretty darn sustainable practice. I mean, we're not depleting our resources. If anything, since we kind of banned market hunting in the 1800s, we're now more likely to deal with overabundance than we are to deal with scarcity of a lot of our wildlife populations. We're in developing countries that they got kind of a poor legal system and, 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 and difficult enforcement. You're seeing that some of the hunting practices are, are unsustainable. Um, so you could think about different ways to address it, but some of the leaders, at least in that field that have studied like bushmeat hunting, are pretty confident, and and I believe it based on the data, that we gotta solve issues related to poverty and inequity before we stop, Mm. uh, before we even deal with anything about um, people in tropical areas harvesting meat just to to meet their basic needs.
0: So, Eduardo, from a philosophical standpoint, are there concerns in terms of trends and why we hunt that that might be a threat to the future of hunting? it seems to me that there's a, a number of people um, raising concerns about, wow, you know, we're, we're losing hunting as part of our culture. And, and I think Todd has said, well, it it's, depends on how you look at the data a little bit. But is that trend accelerated um, because of society's not accepting or less accepting of the reasons we hunt? Do you think?
1: Yeah, well, I I think um that in a sense it would be like uh, you know uh going a little bit upstream of what kind of uh, of creature we are. I, I mean uh, I gather from what Todd was saying is that uh the trend is could be a little bit exaggerated, uh though it's definitely something that if you are not exposed to it, you might kind of n- not get into it the same way if you're not exposed to running, you would ever never start running around, you know, like uh, if nobody kind of is introducing you to that. So a little bit of, a, of the kind of discussion that we've been having this far uh, would then propose, now that we understand why we do it, that well, exposure, then it's a big deal. Uh, because you have a background uh, tendency to like hunting. So if you expose people to it and you expose, especially if you do it in a smart way in which you take into account all the other likes that we have, uh, then you would expect that uh, hunting would pick up uh, and not keep going down. So it's, it's one of those things that uh, understanding the nature of of what we do and why we do it would help us ensure that not only it's being done right, but it's actually being done.
2: And there's a a lot of evidence to suggest that there's a lot more people that would like to hunt Mm -hmm. than are actually hunting. So it might be exposure, accessibility, or means or whatever else. What's interesting, and I don't know if this is too much of a tangent, Mark, and you can, Cut it if it is. But this, we're in a COVID year, right? And there's something interesting going on now where a lot of states are reporting this really strong increase in hunter numbers 20 to 46% that I've seen in some states. Wow. And I'm not the drama type. So I don't think people are starving and they're all of a sudden hunting to, to bring home meat because I just understand what it takes and understand how cheap our subsidized commercial food is, that that's not a good explanation. What I think is going on is I think people have a little bit more time on their hands than they did a year exactly. ago when they weren't isolated. And hunting is also a very safe practice. It's something that you can do without uh, violating COVID mandates or uh, being judged by your peers on proper behavior In in uh, as you go around town so that's intriguing this this uptick makes me think that there's some social economic factors involved with the decrease where people are making an effort to figure out how to do it this year because of maybe just time I don't know
0: well there's a vogueness uh, there's a trend in in thinking getting your own food is vogue too gardening to hunting I think that that is probably being expressed. I, I, I think I would agree with you that people see it as an activity they can do that doesn't, isn't, uh, isn't restricted, isn't you know, limited. Um, well, I know- you have
2: that, it's a great point about the local boar movement. I mean, yeah. hunting is a, a way to, um, it's a renewable resource, right? As long as it's managed effectively. And it's a way to go out and get really healthy, renewable meat. Um, and yeah, the idea of getting out of your backyard is, is certainly trendy and and fashionable in in some ways. But when we think about public approval of hunting, now everybody, like you see a lot of people say, oh, these anti-hunters are crushing us. Well, if you look at the data, when we started doing really kind of representative, defensible surveys on the public's attitudes towards hunting, it's been also pretty flat since I think the surveys go back at least mm. to the early nineties, 70, high 70%, around 77, 78% of the public approves of hunting. Okay. So no, this, this anti-hunting movement is, is not accelerated. Maybe the, the noise from it is maybe they those that don't like hunting are getting better at making it sound like everybody's against it, but with representative sample, it's just not true. But then if you look at why you Mark or why you Eduardo said that you hunt, The public is actually probably even giving stronger approval. So it's hunting in general, but then depending on the type of hunting, if you say I'm hunting for the meat or for management purposes, you're at probably 80% plus public approval. But if you say, I want to hunt to get a big ass trophy on my wall, public approval in the US is closer to around 30%. So it depends on your motivation for hunting. And yeah, and I wonder how those killing a, a prairie dog from a thousand yards with a four thousand dollar rifle. Public approval of that, I I could see that being fairly low too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I didn't want to single that group
1: uh, <laughs> I don't know if you remember that that guy that that dentist that uh, flew to Africa to kill this lion. That it became like yeah. a, a, I mean the the best anti hunting. <laughs> uh, I think that anybody could have ever done, but I think it's just hitting on what Todd was saying that there's certain angles of it, that if you point uh, on the needlessness of it and the the extreme uh, nature of it, that the, the public reaction is a no-no. But if you hit on the uh, like the meat gathering and the local war idea then again the reception gets you know when, when we we start articulating smartly the the, the other likes and the, the other uh, things that we find
0: permissible uh, yeah this is really I, intriguing I to me many levels um i'm one of three boys i was the youngest of three brothers and you know, obviously we grew up in the same household. I'm the other one that still hunts. Um, and I'm crazy about it. Um, my oldest brother isn't opposed to it, but probably hasn't hunted in 10 years. And my middle brother is, I would say anti-hunting. Um, and it's interesting, the, the set of experiences and events that shaped our view of that. And I, uh, I don't think my middle brother is unusual in his experiences. His life experiences were pretty typical, I would say. And I, I'm not trying to, um, argue for the slippery slope argument. Um, but I do worry about what I perceive are trends in less acceptable reasons to society, why people hunt and, and advertising those, I guess, in a way that gives a black eye, cause it's it's a small percentage, I think, of people that hunt for reasons that are less, less acceptable to people. And I don't know, to the listeners, I would just encourage you to think about why and think about, um, and try to answer that for yourself. Again, we're not here to judge, but we're here to try to characterize how the reasons you hunt affect the the future of hunting. Yeah. and I think it's worth taking a few minutes and think about that. I,
2: I totally agree. I don't think that uh, anti-hunters are going to end hunting cultures. I think the decision that hunters make are going to decide the fate, hmm. of the strength of hunting going down the road.
1: Yeah. And if I may, uh, Mark, I would say yes. that we could say that we are part of our job is to judge. Uh, now that we understand why we do it, and what is it that we want to get out of it and how we can shoot articulated There's smart ways or or bad ways to articulate with all the other needs that we have then we could say that there are good hunting practices and bad hunting practices regardless of our likes because i fear
0: and this is selfish and selfish probably because i have kids and i really i think about this a lot what the future holds for them and i don't want us um screwing it up for them. Um, I don't know how else to say yeah. it. If society is judging us for the reasons we hunt, we can at least take a moment to think about it. And I'm not telling people that they should have various reasons, but I'm asking people to think about the future of hunting.
2: Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, you got the one thing is a hunter's behavior can certainly turn others off and be a force towards further restricting hunting opportunity um, but there's other things. I mean, uh, the idea of privatizing public lands is a huge threat uh, or even creating hunting regulations that benefit somebody with greater financial means. So I think when we think about how we make our, our regulations, trying to keep the lev- a level playing field for all the demographics is another key to mm. sustaining hunter numbers. And you got the, you got, like, you think of it as this dichotomy, but that's a total fi- false dichotomy of you got pro hunters and anti hunters. You got some in this group, Mm but not very many. Um, You got a lot of people that have values that they believe in respect for life or treating animals as though you treat a human, but they also might be pro hunting. So there's this fluid spectrum in between there. But I think one of the bigger dangers is not that these anti hunters or people with different values in between, but there's this other set of values that is referred to in the, and at least in the social psychology sciences as a distanced, Wildlife value motivation, I'm sorry, wildlife value orientation, and a distance category is somebody that just doesn't care. They don't Mm -hmm. think about wildlife. They may have grown up in an an, an urban area where they've been completely detached from nature. And that is really dangerous because if you have no exposure to something, if you never had a chance to experience something, it's really difficult to develop an appreciation for it. And if you don't appreciate nature nature or what, you know, our environment is giving us, you're not gonna support policies that, um, you know, support wildlife or conservation or healthy environments, things like that. So thinking, uh, anti-enter spending time fighting them, I don't know if it's a good use of time, but thinking about how to get people that don't have any interaction with nature, some exposure to it, so they can at least see, how uh, an intact environment supports us, how, why we need it and develop appreciation for it. And that might be kind of a stepping stone into getting into something that's a little bit more intact, intense like, like hunting.
1: I, I, I was, I'm glad you just said, I was gonna ask you, Todd, about whether or not there's any data on precisely that exposure and accessibility. Because here in Alaska, we have wildernesses, super accessible, but you know, like for me, as I was saying, growing up, it was absolutely inaccessible. I had no access whatsoever. And then if you start just by not having any access to it, is there a a good reliable data on saying, well, without that exposure to a pristine wilderness, the chances of you kind of waking up your hunter inside, to to put it somehow, uh, are are lower, mm. and so counterintuitively, again, we would want to keep some areas where that are really accessible but yet pristine, you know, and and that's again a counterintuitive idea of if we like hunting, why we keep some stuff uh, intact, why we don't hunt there, just to keep exposure, to keep.
0: Um, yeah. All right, um, I should end on a little less uh, deep thought maybe, uh, in, unless you have, uh, there's, these are great, this has been great, and I knew we were going to go a long time and probably could go longer, but try to keep these episodes not too much longer than now because people lose attention, as I do. Um, <laughs> so I was wondering if we could just finish it up with a, a story I asked people to tell, a fun hunting story, and maybe, Related to why we hunt, given the theme of this podcast, if okay. you do that, and I'll start just to help you. Um, and if this is a, a recent story, and it's fresh in my mind. But there's many like this, and it was just taking my son on a youth sheep hunt this year, where we didn't even get close to being successful in terms of seeing a legal ram, or even having you know a chance to stock one. But man, what a great. What a great trip! What a great outing, right? A four, five day hunt and just getting out with him and and the whole experience. The hunt, there was no kill. Um, heck, I don't even think we got within 200 yards of a sheep. Um, you know, it was just really neat. And it, it was. Uh, I wouldn't have done that if I wasn't hunting. I'm almost certain. There's a very low chance I would have done that. Hey, let's just go take a big load on our backs and go, I guess you'd call it backpacking, but you know, there was more than that too. We had places, it. you wouldn't normally <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, there was experiences we had at 4,000 feet. This is just a fun little side story. My son stepped on a wasp nest, a ground nest at 4,000 feet. God's sakes, I was 20 yards from him and the whole hive came buzzing out and one came over and stung me right in the face. And we were on a scree slope. And, you know, trying to run from wasp in the scree slope with 40 um, packs on them. And, you know, an experience you would never get unless you were hunting. And, uh, you know, everyone lived That We laughed we laughed about it quite a bit, but um, that that for me was a, a hunt that was very successful without even coming close to killing an animal. So.
1: Well, if I have one that I just just, I wasn't thinking about it, but, but after Mark's story and, and our discussion on exposure, um, I, I used to uh, go uh, snorkeling in Brazil. And, and, you know, spear fishing is the closest thing to hunting uh, and with fish, you know, because you're shooting them with a, with a spear gun. And me and my buddy, we've been doing it for a long time. We loved it and it was kind of hunting underwater. And we brought this friend of ours that is like a business administrator, never ever was exposed anywhere near to hunting in any way whatsoever, was, was not inclined to do it, was not interested in wildlife or anything. And we gave him a spear gun and a snorkel and, and the, the, the visor thing. And we couldn't get him out of the water. Of course, he was not successful. Of course, you know, like shooting from the hip at a fish is it's like really, really a very, very steep learning curve. Uh, but, uh, you know, just kind of like a, a neat example of, of people that think that they would never do it and have no interest in doing it. And then when they got exposed to it, uh, we couldn't get him out of the water.
2: Yeah, I can see that. Um, one hunting story? Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll say my my first large game kill. Um, Antelope, Western South Dakota. And uh, my dad told me, you know, this is the year you're ready. I had my 243 with this sawed off stock on it, right? And uh, I, I felt ready. Anyways, we got out to these antelope and people that have hunted them, you know how they kind of run in a circle or like to stay in the field they're in if it's fence, things like that. So we saw this group over here and it looks like, yeah, we should take one of those. My dad goes, okay, Todd, it's it's your turn. And they started to move that way. And he told me, so they started to move this way. And then he told me to run that way because of the way that we knew that they were gonna circle. So I sprinted off up on top of this knoll just as they were coming by. Now I took a shot that Today I I would never take, but you're a little kid and your dad gives you the green light and and you wanna make it happen. So I get to the top of the knoll, I am breathing hard. These antelope are at a pretty good clip now. And and so they're moving, right? And so I'm freehand with my 243 and I shoot. And perfect shot um, through both lungs, through the heart, it rolls, clean kill. My dad catches up to me. He is bubbling with pride, kind of how you're feeling on an uh, annual basis now, Mark, just bubbling with pride, right? And um, I never, I, I think I told him many, many years later, because I didn't want to ruin it now because I wanted him to be proud of me. Um, but I was aiming for the antelope that was in front of the <laughs> that <had> one. To...
0: <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> yeah no that all right that, that's excellent story. that's funny yeah
1: uh now you'll have to cut that part because is is gonna it's gonna listen to it yeah
0: so. <laughs> yeah that's interesting i i would confess that for duck hunting uh um, has happened more times than i care to say especially yeah. for diving ducks but i i can't say i've done that for big game then. that's interesting so, yeah well they're, they're fast enough and if you're yeah, yeah, they're they somewhat equivalent to a sixty mile an hour duck, I suppose. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. That's fun. Well, thank you both. That was excellent. Um I I uh, I really wanted to do this and at the same time you've caused me again to stop and think about why I do the things I do and why I hunt. And uh it's um it's a lot easier to not do that. But I think it's important to to do it and uh think about how we're um, representing in, ourselves in society. I think, I think we should be aware of that. So hopefully hopefully others will agree. Thanks.
1: You've been listening to the Hunting Science Podcast. To find show notes on this episode and to leave comments and continue the
0: conversation, visit our website at community.uif.edu/ slash huntingscience.